Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Although uh, you can't call in uh, at the moment. Uh, the call screener is having to screen from home with sick kids and had to put one of them down for a nap. So we will take your phone calls here in just a little while. This gives me time to move along to other things that I wanted to get to while you're gearing up to yell at me. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to spend just a moment on this particular issue. There is a restaurant across the street from my neighborhood. It's a Mexican restaurant, uh, and we eat there once a week at least. I mean, there have been weeks where we've eaten there two or three times a week. I mean, we eat there so much they know us and know our order. It's it's like that. It's a wonderful restaurant. The nicest people, they really are just the nicest people. And they closed on Wednesday last week and have not yet reopened and will not reopen until tomorrow because they have too many workers sick with COVID. Another restaurant in town I went to pick up dinner from uh, the other day, they, I, I should have, I mean, it was a 15, 20 minute drive from the house to go pick up dinner. I should have called them first because I got there and they were closed with COVID. Another restaurant uh, here in town closed early in the afternoon on Friday because they didn't have enough workers show up. Local Chick-fil-A did the same thing. Uh, my um, dry cleaners are closed because of COVID. A local law firm in town, everyone's working remotely because of COVID. That's just my town. That's just my town. But this is happening all over the country right now. Around the country, there are a great many small businesses that are deeply impacted by COVID. And on top of that, there is, as I've mentioned before, in a lot of places, a, a desire to have you test negative before you come back to work. And there's a shortage of tests so people can't get tested, so they can't go back to work if that's the company policy. Uh, they, they won't mind me talking about my, my niece's situation. She works in a school system. Her doctor says she's clear to go back to work. Her school system says you have to have a test first. The rapid tests, nobody has them right now. The PCR test can turn up positives for 12 weeks after you're no longer contagious. So she's getting positive results from a PCR test when an antigen test would say she's negative. She can't go back to work because of it, even though the doctor says she's no longer contagious and can go back to work. And she's running out of sick days and she's running out of vacation days. And she's about to start getting her pay docked because they won't let her back to work, even though the doctor certifies she's not contagious, but she's getting the test that we know for two years now have known will show you're positive for 12 weeks after you're negative. That's no way to run an economy. It's no way to run a school system. And this is happening and people are getting overwhelmed. Now, listen, I'm not advocating for, and don't hear me say, if you're sick, go to work. That's not what I'm advocating at all. But it certainly seems like the reliance on testing right now is causing us problems. There's a shortage of tests. 
and the demands of the private sector that you get tested is starting to run up against the supply of the tests. So probably maybe we need to do something better. And and there isn't all of this. There's a fatalism creeping in, is there not? I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine um, who has a relative now who's tested positive for COVID. And again, vax boost, all of that. That maybe we're all just going to get it at this point. A doctor friend of mine, and, and this, I want to be very clear going into this. This is anecdote, not data. This is anecdote. But I've now heard it from a couple of doctors, one in New England and one here in Georgia, that the patients who are filling up emergency rooms are people who are so freaked out about COVID, they're going to the emergency room and they don't really need to be there. There's nothing really wrong with them. Yes, they're sick. And yes, they have COVID, but they don't really need to be there. But they've so internalized the fear of COVID that they're showing up about COVID at the hospital. And they're taking spots from people who really are sick. And finally, you know, the CDC is coming out now and saying they're going to really divide out the people who died of COVID and the people who died with COVID. It's something a lot of people have pushed back on for a very long time. And I was slow on the uptake on this one, frankly. But the CDC is now saying, yeah, there are a lot of people who died with COVID, but not of COVID, and they've got to distinguish. Now, a lot of people who died of COVID, they were separating those out, contrary to some of the conspiracy theorists. But within hospitals, for the longest time, they were actually lumping together the people who had COVID and the people who were in the hospital because of COVID. And there's a big difference. If you're terminal cancer, but you get COVID and you're in the hospital, you're not there because you have COVID. You're there because you're cancer. If you have a heart attack and then you test positive for COVID after the heart attack, you're in the hospital because of the heart attack, not because of COVID. And a lot of things that a lot of people have said for two years in public, a lot of things that we've talked about on this show, a lot of things that we have said very adamantly and got a lot of hate mail for from the left on this show turns out to be what now the Biden administration is saying they're going to do. And it all comes to a head because of a couple of things. One, there's an election coming up. And things look very bad for the Democrats. In fact, where is this? Uh, Ed Perlmutter. Ed Perlmutter is now the 26th House Democrat to announce he's not seeking re-election. He's a Colorado Democrat. He's from Marvada, Colorado. And he is in a swing district. It has been redistricted now, and it's even more of a swing district, and he's not even going to try to fight it. There's an election coming up, and there are 26 Democrats now fleeing the House of Representatives, more than the Republicans in 2018, I believe, or close to it. It's the largest exodus of House Democrats since 2010. By the way, in 2010, for perspective, 35 House Democrats decided not to run for office again in 2010. And in January of 2010, there were only 15 of them. So we're at 26 Democrats now. In 2010, at this time period, there were only 15, and there ultimately were 35 then. How many will there be now for the Democrats? Redistricting hasn't even been completed yet. So you've got an election coming. You've got problems with the election, and the Democrats are having to turn talking points there. You've got economic problems, and the economic problems are feeding into the election problems. 
You've got workers who don't have COVID, but they can't go back to work yet because they can't find a test to take to show they don't have COVID. You've got companies shutting down and living in fear of COVID still. You've got employers who can't get employees to show up at schools because local school systems are shut down and the employees have to stay home with the kids. And now you've got this growing demand that people wear N95 masks. You can no longer wear your cloth mask for two years. First of all, of course, they said don't wear masks. Then they said cloth masks. And now they're saying, well, only N95 masks will work. I got to tell you, we're not all going to wear N95 masks. Try mandating that on airplanes. And then there's something else happening here, too. And by the way, I feel like I've talked about COVID all day today, but it really is the big story today. It really is the story. And it intersects with so many other stories out there. It intersects with the crime story. It intersects with the education story. It intersects with the business story, the economy story, all the headlines out of Washington. They all intersect with COVID. But there's something else here too, and there is the class divide. The number of rich people who want the help to wear masks while they don't. You get to go sit in your restaurant. You get to eat. You get to sit there at the restaurant table inside without a mask on, chewing with your mouth open. And the help, they got to wear a mask. They're not just an N95 mask. They can wear a surgical mask. They can wear a cloth mask. They can wear a bandana, although you'll get mad at them. But you're not concerned with yourself eating you, and I'm particularly when I say this, I'm in progressives because you and I, at this point, we're kind of over it. But the progressives want everybody to mask up still. They want everybody to socially distance still. And yet they're going to restaurants and they're not wearing masks while they eat and they get mad when the help isn't wearing a mask. And the data shows that you, without your mask on, if you're infected, you're the one who should be the one wearing the mask, not the worker who's not infected. There is a exercise in class in this now, and that's the most relevant part of the conversation. What's happening around the country are really rich progressives are refusing to let black and Hispanic families get into their kids' private schools. And then the really rich progressives are shutting down the public schools or backing the school boards that shut down the public schools. So you're keeping your black and Hispanic neighbors from being able to get their kids an education. While your kid gets to go to the private school, you get to block the black kid from coming to your private school, and then you've got the back of the school board that's shutting everything down and demanding people stay home. There is a real class divide happening in this country between rich, white, secular progressives and everybody else, and it's why the Democratic Party coalition is starting to break up. For years and years and years and years, they said the Democratic Party, it was demography was destiny, and now suddenly events are changing things. Now suddenly black and Hispanic voters are realizing they've gotten played by the white progressive elite who are demanding that their schools be shut down, but don't you dare send your kid to my private school with my tax dollars. There's a neo-racism afoot among the progressive left. We see it in their push for critical theory. 
within critical theory. They want to tell you that if you're black or Hispanic, you are oppressed. You have always been oppressed. You will always be oppressed. And don't think you can ever undo your oppression by pretending to be whitey. You'll never be whitey. And it's fostering real resentment. Real resentment. Among a lot of people out there. They can't get their kids educated. They can't go to work. They can't get a clear test to be able to go back to work. Their employers or employers are putting burdens on them. The left is making it difficult for people to live life. And now suddenly, only because the polling has changed, are people on the left like, well, maybe we got to change. We've got to get Joe Biden elected. We got to do something to get Joe Biden elected. The fallout of their own behavior and consequences is what we're dealing with. And it's going to have wide-ranging ramifications in the country as uh, the demographics of the country shake up and go in different directions politically. The Democrats in this country have never known in the last 60 years a coalition that was not ethnically, racially diverse. The Republican Party in this country for the last 30, 40 years really has not known a Republican Party that was ethnically, racially diverse. It's been mostly white people. That's just statement of fact. And now suddenly the Republican Party has a bunch of black and Hispanic voters voting Republican, and the Democratic Party has a bunch of rich, white, woke Karens voting Democrat with no one else in the coalition. It upends the political coalitions of our times. It it causes discombobulation in the currents of American society. And yet it's happening in real time. We are living through a political realignment. It's fascinating, frankly, to watch the political realignment happen. We just hope it doesn't become more violent than it already has become. But that doesn't stop it from happening nonetheless. And in large part, it is happening because a large group of people who are dominant in culture and shaping culture and intellectual elite in this country, they've lost touch with reality. They've lost touch with you and me. They've lost touch with anyone outside of their skyscrapers in Manhattan and Los Angeles. And they're seeking still to define and impose their will on culture. And it's starting to blow back in their faces now. And they don't really know what to do about it other than fear monger. This is the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They are in Noonan, Georgia. They can help you nationwide wherever you are from our newest station in Las Vegas and Tucson to Orlando, Jacksonville, Dayton, Tulsa, you name it. They can help your business grow. If your business needs access to large loans, we're talking six figures and up. 500,000 and above. Uh, First Liberty makes their own lending decisions. They've been doing this since the mid-90s. Really good people. They want to help you. Reach out to them. Just spend 10 minutes with them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. Uh, They would be happy to talk to you and see if we can figure things or they can figure things out for you. The Golden Globes happen. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make any noise? The same with the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes now, you know, they've been in scandal. Diversity scandal, among other things. And, um, well, they are, they're, they're, I guess they gave, I don't even know who won. I I only bring it, I I don't really care about the Golden Globes, other than uh, this is a self-immolation of Hollywood. The Hollywood crowd 
has kind of ruined for themselves their own award seasons. They dragged it out. The Oscars are no longer funny. The Oscars aren't worth watching. They used to give awards to popular movies. And at some point, they started giving awards to movies that were condescending and nobody liked. But it made them feel good about these. It was like that American Beauty movie. My gosh. One of the worst movies ever made was an Academy Award winner, the Kevin Spacey. But it was just a horrible movie. And that's kind of was the moment that I realized, you know, these this this really is a joke. I can put up with Hollywood and their moral. I really can put up with Hollywood's moral preening. I can. Uh, it doesn't offend me uh, to see Hollywood's moral preening. What is interesting to me is how Hollywood, though, has just over time lost its sense of what the rest of us are interested in. And what the rest of us are uh, on about. And it's very much reflected in a progressive elite society. It is very much, I mean, y'all just, 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 just think about this. Think about this. Uh, so much of, of what happens in, in Hollywood is rebroadcast on your, your local news. Not, well, not your local news, your national news show, your 30 minute national news show, ABC, CBS, NBC. They pay attention to that stuff. They don't pay attention to what you care about. So one of the geniuses of Fox News and why it does so well, you know, they're giving Jesse Waters the 7 p.m. show on Fox News now, uh, Waters World. And, of course, the media is apoplectic about it today. It's not a news show. It's going to be an opinion show. It won't be hard news. And the media is furious about it. But meanwhile, you've got the national press brags about whatever Hollywood is doing and turns it into something really big deal. And you don't care one whit about it. Hardly anybody does. I remember uh, when I got uh, was talking to Bill Shine at Fox News about going to Fox back in the past. Before I, I actually wound up going to CNN. Rush Limbaugh advised me to go to CNN first. And Bill was pointing out, you know, they don't talk about the Golden Globes and, and the Academy Awards at Fox News because viewers do not care about it. The only people who care about it are the coastal elite, and they're not Fox's audience. And the more I've thought about that over the years, my gosh, there really is some wisdom to that. That uh, these guys, nobody cares about them, and so they they get more vain and more preening and more in your face, demanding you care about them, and you care even less and less. And it's just this sick cycle of them trying to get attention. And now they've done an award show where they won't even tell you who won the awards, and they won't even broadcast it on TV. I guess they want to make us curious. No, not really. I just find it hilarious that they tried to pull it as a stunt. When we come back, speaking of stunts, the Biden administration dealing with the Russians, trying to figure out what's going on with Ukraine and the inflation issue in the country and tech stocks. Howdy, it's Eric Erickson. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Phone lines are open. I got to go full circle here. I wasn't going to go full circle here, but I got to go full circle here. I don't want to be a broken record. I I don't want to be a broken record. Occasionally, I have to be. You know, it reminds me, uh, there's that old joke about the the church. Church was looking for a new pastor, and they got this young pastor to come in, and young pastor got up in the pulpit, and he preached a just fantastic sermon about loving your neighbors. And the church thought, my gosh, that young guy, he's he's got the Holy Spirit in him. We better bring him back a second time, see if he can, see if he can do this again. So... 
next Sunday, they brought him back a second time and he preached the same sermon almost word for word again. The church thought, ah, well, you know, it was it was a good sermon and he delivered it a second time. Maybe maybe it's all he's got. Maybe he's just having a rough week. Let, let's 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 give it a third shot, see what he can do. And brought him back a third time, preached the same sermon again. So after the church service was over, the deacons pulled him aside and they said, buddy, we were going to offer you this pulpit, but but what's going on here? You, you've preached the same sermon three Sundays in a row, and we wanted to see what you had. And the preacher looked at them and he says, well, I kind of wanted to see what y'all had. Have y'all done anything I said? <laughs> I just, I've always liked that one, but I don't want to be a broken record. However, we got to go back to the first hour of this program. I want to read for you a tweet. It is related to a story at Mother Jones. Mother Jones is the far-left publication, and Ari Berman is the writer. I think he's on MSNBC on occasion. Um, Let's see, what is this guy's bio? Let's see. Let me read his biography. He is a senior reporter for Mother Jones covering voting rights. He's the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. And his headline is, it's now or never for Democrats to protect voting rights. His tweet has been retweeted by Ron Brownstein, who I know I've always gotten along with. He's a CNN political analyst, works or columnist of the Los Angeles Times. Uh, He's one of the guys who had bought in for the longest time. I think demography is destiny, and it's not really. But this is Ari Berman's tweet that Ron Brownstein retweeted. This week is one of the most pivotal moments in American history. I'm sorry. This week is one of the most pivotal in history of American democracy. If Democrats don't pass federal legislation now to stop voter suppression, extreme gerrymandering, and election subversion, GOP will make it impossible to have fair elections going forward. You got that? This week is one of the most pivotal in the history of American democracy. If Democrats don't pass federal legislation now to stop voter suppression, extreme gerrymandering, and election subversion, Republicans will make it impossible to have fair elections going forward. That's his tweet. And that's his article here at Mother Jones. At crucial moments in American history, when democracy was under threat, Congress took decisive action to protect voting rights. The 15th Amendment, the 19th Amendment, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. This week is going to be similarly pivotal for American democracy. After failing to lawfully win the 2020 election and then unlawfully overturning it, the Republican Party has had a single-minded focus on rigging the country's voting and election system to their advantage while congressional Democrats have passed no legislation to stop them. Now Democrats are mounting an aggressive last-ditch effort to protect voting rights with Senator Mitch Mc- or Senator Chuck Schumer rather promising a vote on the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act by Martin Luther King Jr. Day. President Biden and Vice President Harris are traveling to Georgia on Tuesday to screw up traffic. I'm sorry, to deliver major speeches. The stakes couldn't be higher. And this is where he gets to this. If Democrats don't pass these voting rights bills and soon, the 2020 election will take place under voting restrictions designed to suppress turnout among Democratic-leading constituencies, gerrymandered maps that roll back fair representation for communities of color, and election subversion laws giving Trump-inspired Stop the Steal candidates 
unprecedented power over election administration and how votes are counted. Collectively, these anti-democratic measures could cost Democrats control of Congress and crucial state offices in 2022, making it easier for Republicans to rig the 2024 election. There you have it. And Mother Jones, they're already declaring the outcomes of two future elections to be in doubt because Democrats won't pass this legislation. The filibuster is not going to die. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema say they're not changing it. But here you have notable people in the media recirculating this article as if it's true. By the way, do you know that Democrats are engaged in more obscene gerrymandering this year than Republicans? The Republicans in Florida have unveiled congressional maps that are making Republicans furious because they're a sick would have a 16 to 12 Republican majority when they could draw them to have something like only seven Democratic seats. But the Republicans want to make sure that in a decade, the seats are still reliably Republican. So they're willing to give up some of their advantage to make sure that the seats stay Republican for a decade. In Georgia, the same thing is happening. Same in Texas. The Republicans are not going for broke. Democrats are in Illinois. They probably are in New York as well. They're overruling their nonpartisan commission in New York. In Illinois, the Democrats have completely gone for broke. It's the Democrats who are engaged in extreme gerrymandering, not the Republicans. In Michigan, the Democrats are getting rid of black Democratic members because they need to pad and shore up other districts to ensure Democrats keep control. And the black Democrats are filing suit with the Republicans against the lines. This is all hysteria. But it's the Democrats' hysteria. In 2020, after the election, President Trump began to tell people the election was stolen. It wasn't a free and fair election. There had been so much interference and collusion and conspiracy. The election was stolen. It wasn't fair. The Democrats had changed the rules. They had committed voter fraud. And even the electronic voting machines themselves were throwing votes to Joe Biden. Some people believed it. A lot of people believed it. But some of those people stormed into the U.S. Capitol and tried to stop the Electoral College votes from being certified. But wait. There's more. A few years before that, Democrats told people that the Republican tax reform package was going to kill old people. You were probably going to die because Republicans were going to get rid of the individual mandate in Obamacare. Not only that, the Republicans were going to gut Obamacare and they were going to give big tax breaks to the rich. Never mind the taxes for the rich went up under the Republican plan. That's what the Democrats said. A guy named James Hodgkinson, a Bernie Sanders supporter, heard all this and thought, you know what? I got to do something. I got to stop these Republicans. So James Hodgkinson got in his car, drove down to Virginia, found where the Republicans were practicing for their baseball game, and attempted the mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. James Hodgkinson, we know for a fact, was fueled by the angry rhetoric of the Democratic Party. 
was fueled by the talking points of Nancy Pelosi showing Paul Ryan shoving grandma off a cliff, was fueled by the rhetoric of Democrats saying Republicans wanted you to die, fueled by the rhetoric of people like Alan Grayson, the congressman from Florida, saying Republicans want you to die quickly, fueled by the rhetoric of the Southern Poverty Law Center, went and tried to gun down the Republicans in Congress, nearly killed Steve Scalise. Notice how the Democrats moved on so quickly from that. Mary Catherine Ham, she's a, uh, has been on CNN. She's a conservative writer, pundit. She noted how quickly when she was at CNN, they moved on from the James Hodgkinson mass assassination attempt of Republicans when it turned out he was a Democratic Bernie Sanders supporter. She actually did a live broadcast from the baseball field and was asked to talk about other stuff beyond the attempted assassination. And a lot of reporters called her, how dare you make that claim? They covered it. Yeah, they covered it for about 48 hours. I was on CNN when Jared Lochner, a nut job from Arizona, decided to gun down a federal judge and Gabby Giffords and several other people in a crowd. Uh, the attempted assassination of Gabrielle Gifford. She didn't die. I think the judge died. Uh, someone else died. She did not. We talked about it ad nauseum for days on end on CNN, and it was all the Republican rhetoric. I literally got admonished at CNN for using the word target for a swing district because I was engaged in the hysterical language that fueled a guy like Jared Lochner to commit an assassination. Remember, it was Sarah Palin's fault because she sent out a mail piece that had Gabrielle Gifford's district listed as a target. The word target had been used to target swing districts for decades, if not centuries, and suddenly it was verboten, and the Republicans were to blame. They inspired inspired Jared Lochner, and it was weeks on end while the Democrats got to be on TV blaming the Republicans, and then along comes James Hodgkinson. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter who was a fan of the Southern Poverty Law Center and wanted to stop the Republicans from throwing grandma off the cliff based on Democratic rhetoric. Oh, we got to move on. We can't talk about that. And then you get to 2020 and the stolen election. And we're not allowed to talk about anything but that. And now here come the Democrats saying if the if the if the Democrats can't pass voting reforms this very week, the Republicans could kill our democracy. And in the words of this guy at Mother Jones, quote, make it impossible to have fair elections going forward. Now, what if that inspires violence from the Democrats? Are we allowed to even note that? Are we allowed to note it's possible? Are we allowed to note how similar this rhetoric is to Donald Trump's stolen election claims? Or must we treat this with legitimacy? And if it inspires violence, move on and not talk about it. It's what the Democrats would have us do. It's what they would have us believe. Again, if you really believe that the Republican Party is about to impose an authoritarian regime in America, if you really believe the Republicans are a threat to democracy and fair elections, and they win in November. What are you prepared to do to stop them?
The left in the United States of America has a far longer and more extensive history of violence than the right. I know we're supposed to believe, because it's what the Biden administration says, that right-wing violence is the biggest national security threat in the country. But, you know, for decades on end, it was left-wing violence. They tried to blow up the Capitol. They tried to blow up the State Department. They tried to assassinate members of Congress. On and on it goes, all the way back to the 60s and 70s. The environmentalists, the the Puerto Rican nationalists, the Weather Underground, uh, the Democratic Socialists, the Communists, on and on, violence, 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 and the media moves on. Oh, it's those Republicans. They're the violent ones of the country. If you really believe Republicans are going to kill our democracy, what are you going to do to stop them? That's the problem with the Democratic rhetoric. They inspired that rhetoric, inspired James Hodgkinson to commit a mass assassination attempt on Republican members of Congress. They only care about Donald Trump's rhetoric causing people to storm the Capitol. But if you really believe the Republicans are going to not just kill our democracy, but also kill all of us through refusing to enact climate change, can you not see how the Democrats are about to turn as violent as they claim the Republicans are? It is so obvious to me we are headed in this direction unless these people tone down their rhetoric. And the only people they think should tone down their rhetoric are you and me. Pointing out the obvious and where it leads is apparently hateful. But what's more hateful? Me telling you what's about to come if they don't change their ways? Or them inspiring someone like James Hodgkinson to commit the mass assassination of members of Congress? Now, we need to clear the air a little bit. I'm talking about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. In fact, if you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you click on Eric Erickson, you can get three of them right now and save $200. Now, what is the Eden Pure Thunderstorm? It's an air purifier, filterless. You don't have to buy a subscription to filters. You just wipe it out on occasion. It's great. It ionizes the air and it eliminates odors. Uh, you don't have to diffuse the air with, with scents and essential oils to mask odors. You just wipe them out. And it gets rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the mold that's floating in the air as well. It's small. It's portable. You can hold it in your hand. You can take it with you when you travel. Put it in an RV. Put it in a rental car. Put it in a hotel room. Really convenient. You go to EdenPureDeals.com. You click on my name, Eric Erickson. And you'll see the Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the three-pack. You put it in your cart. At checkout, you'll see a discount code box. In the discount code box, you put in the word ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, and the number three, no space. You don't write out the word three, just the number three, ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K, three. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3. You will get $200 off a three-pack of Eden Pure Thunderstorms. You will get them all three for less than $200 with that discount, and you'll get free shipping at EdenPureDeals.com. Hi there. It is Eric Erickson. I, I, I got to make a point here before I'm out of time. This is, this is really, you're going to learn something here. One of the problems people have with Washington these days is that more often than not, the politicians in Washington, they want an issue to campaign on, to galvanize people, to stir people up, to rile people up. They don't actually want to solve a problem. Both sides have wanted uh, the, the border as an issue. The Democrats could have solved the problem of illegal immigration and amnesty when they controlled the White House under Barack Obama and the Congress. They could have done it, but they chose not to do it because they wanted the issue to campaign on. The Democrats could do a lot of things to fix the problems they whine about on elections and democracy. There is an Electoral College Reform Act. It is separate from 
uh, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, and it is separate from the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. It is an act that has 10 Republicans in the Senate willing to vote for it, and all it would do is clarify the Electoral College Voting Act from the 1800s and make clear the vice president of the United States cannot unilaterally reject the votes of the Electoral College, nor can the Congress dismiss the certified elections of the states. That's it. That's all it would do. A state certifies the vote of an election. The Congress cannot ignore it, even if the state legislature comes back and says, no, actually, we would rather you go this way. That's all it does. It would solve the problem that led to the problems Democrats fret about in 2020. There are enough votes in the United States Senate to pass it over a filibuster. There are enough votes in the United States House of Representatives to pass it. The Democrats are refusing. And a short time ago at the White House, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said, nope, we're not even going to consider it. We want all or nothing. They know they're not going to get the all. They know they're not going to get it. Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have doubled down and said, nope, there is no way we are getting rid of the filibuster. And so Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will head to Georgia tomorrow to campaign for voting rights reform when they could get the reforms they need to resolve the issues of 2020. They won't get those issues resolved because they don't actually want to resolve those issues. They want to let this fester. They want people believing the Republicans are a threat to democracy. They want to scare people into thinking you got to vote for Democrats or else the democracy of the Republic is over. And they're not going to get any of that. It's all they've got. They've overplayed their hand. They failed. They don't even realize. Actually, I think they kind of do realize it. It's just they have nothing left. They could fix this problem, but they don't want to. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 